Uh, greetings in the Master's name. This morning, I thought uh, I'd give you a chance to share. It's not because I don't have anything to say, because our next chapter is Hebrews 11 and probably several sermons there, but uh, I was going to try and cover it in one. But anyway, at the, often at the end uh, of the service, we ask, uh, you know, if you have anything to share, often as testimony to the message, but uh, often we're sort of getting, uh, don't have a lot of time. And so uh, I thought, well, this morning I would uh, give you an opportunity here at the beginning. Uh, if you have anything on your heart you'd like to share with the congregation, so here's here's an opportunity. Anything you'd like to share, I'll give you an opportunity now. While you're thinking, or I'm not asking you to dredge up something, um, but uh, I was at a repair shop this week, um, seeing about getting something fixed, and uh, there were three three fellows there. It's just a not a, not a big outfit, and uh, there was one fellow there. He he I was kind of observing the three people there, and one of them he had a little red beard and red hair, and he looked kind of scruffy. And he came to me and he stuck out his hand and he told me his name, and and uh, so I think I told him mine, and we got talking and asked him how long he'd been working there, and he'd been working there. I believe just a month or a couple of months, and uh, and I asked him uh, where he's from, and he uh, uh, he said he was from Colorado, and I said, "Well, how'd you get back here?" And uh, he said, "Well, this, he grew up in this community, and he said he was into um, alcohol and I'm not sure other things, and he went to Colorado to get away from his old friends." and uh, try to leave it. And he said, uh, when he said Colorado, he found Jesus, or he said rather Jesus found him. And he wanted to talk about Jesus. And uh, that, was, that was encouraging. We talked about Jesus. We talked about the word. And uh, one of the other guys there was sweeping the floor. And, and I thought, well, you know, uh, uh, he, the other guy's probably wondering why he's talking about Jesus when he should be sweeping the floor. So anyway, I... Uh, I went and started talking to the other guy, and so then this fellow, he grabbed a broom too. But uh, anyway, it was just encouraging to me that uh, here he uh, was full of Jesus. Young fellow, you know, got, um, anyway. Anything you want to share? Yeah, yeah, in class we had good discussion. Um well, let's uh, let's turn to uh, Hebrews eleven then, and uh, the uh, talks about uh, reading the word. I think uh, reading the word, preaching the word. This very long chapter, I, I probably should read it. But let's read Hebrews eleven. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen which are, were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, 
by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore spring there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country." And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, 
who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, faith is, so that's a definition, and you can check it out. I might not be aware of everything, but I think, I think that this is the only place in the Bible where faith is defined. We've got a lot of examples of faith. We've got a, things, a lot of things said about faith, but faith is, this is the definition of faith, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you probably heard me mention this before. I, I like those words because, you know, in science, substance, matter, uh, things that have, have uh, weight and take up space. But it's, it's, it's something you can get a hold of. And it says faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the intangibles. It, 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 faith makes the intangibles real to us. And it says it's the evidence of things not seen. It, those are interesting words. Now, looking into it, I was, the, 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 the Greek actually uh, has a little different meaning maybe than what I'm putting on it here. Just taking those words... I don't know why the King James translators translated substance and evidence. Well, maybe because of the things I've just said. But the, the Greek is more uh, the uh, American Standard Version uh, of 1901, which was a very accurate translation, said, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Uh, Weymouth's New Testament said, faith is a well-grounded assurance of that for which we hope and a conviction of the reality of things which we do not see. Now, I had mentioned, um, uh, I think in a previous message, what uh, uh, a commentary said, Erdman's commentary said in the introduction to Hebrews, it said to the writer of Hebrews, the ancient ritual belonged to this visible world, which is a world of shadows, <coughs> Christ belongs to the unseen world, which alone is the world of realities. And that, that is, um, is that the way we see things? Um, you, you, as I was reading Hebrews 11, I hope you notice it talks about them seeing things that can't be seen. And so, the visible world, which is a world of shadows. The unseen world, 
which alone is the world of realities. So which is your world? Is your world the world of shadows? Or is it the unseen world, which is the world of realities? Anyway, it's that's kind of thought-provoking. Well, uh, some other verses that kind of relate to this. Uh, Romans 8, 24, Hope that is seen is not hope for what a man sees. Why does he yet hope for? Uh, we hope for what we see not. Then do we with patience wait for it? Or Second Corinthians four eighteen, we look not at the things which are seen. See, th th those are interesting phrases. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. See, stop and think about it. We're looking at things that can't be seen. I mean, yeah, I can look at the bench. I can look at you all. I can, I can see. But it says, as far as our our spiritual life, we look at things that can't be seen. So, and also 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Do you walk by sight? Well, I got my glasses on this morning. Um, I don't know. You walk by sight? Or you walk by faith? Well, the rest of the chapter talks about examples of faith. It says, by faith the elders obtained a good report. And then verse 3 is such a key verse. It says, through faith we understand. Um, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And so that goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And then the verses say, and God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, in Genesis 1 and 2. And so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And so here you have 28 words that answer the question of origins. And there's been books and books and books written about origins. And it says, by faith we understand that it wasn't by the laws of chemistry and physics and what we observe in geology and biology. It wasn't by that. It says we're not made of things which do appear. So it was supernatural. It wasn't natural. You cannot explain creation, whether you're an evolutionist or whether you're a creationist. You cannot explain creation by the current laws of science. That's what it says here. It's so, it says we understand. It's so simple and so profound. 28 words give us the answer to origins the origin of the universe. So faith is the answer to, to that. And then by faith, Abel offered. And uh, it says in verse 5, by faith, Enoch. And it says, Enoch pleased God. So how 
How do you please God? It says in verse 6, you see, verse 5 ends with please God. And then verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And a person must believe that God is and that he's rewarded of them that diligently seek him. That's very key words too. Uh, it says that Enoch walked with God. You know, that was kind of interesting to me thinking about that. Enoch walked with God. It doesn't say he wrote excellent articles about God. It doesn't say he conducted insightful seminars about God. It says he walked with God. And there is a difference. Not that they're necessarily incompatible, but he walked with God. And so we could go a little further and say, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, you know, two people walking together. You know, God, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They walked with God. But not for very long. Because they took their own way. And then they were no longer walking with God. Their choices didn't line up with God, so they were no longer walking with God. Enoch pleased God. He believed God, and because he believed God, he walked with God. So, like I say, at the end of verse 6, it says, He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In what ways did you diligently seek God this week? In what ways did you walk with God this week? Well, the rest of the chapter gives examples of those who live by faith. And that's the way those verses start out, by faith, verse 8, by faith, verse 9, 17, by faith, 23, by faith, 20, well, by faith. That's the way the verses start out. Uh, and, but then what does it talk about? It says by faith. And then it talks about them. And what does it talk about? Does it talk about what they said? What's it, what, what, what's it talk about when it says by faith they what? They did. They acted. Right. And uh, so it's what they did. Noah. He built an ark on dry land for 120 years. Everybody was making fun of him. But he acted because he believed God. He acted on what God said. It says, of things not seen, he acted, he lived by what God said. Okay, what happened when Abraham was called to go out? It says, when he was called to go out, it says he obeyed. When God spoke, when God gave him direction, he obeyed. He went out. And it says he didn't know how it was going to end. So does God ever ask you uh, of things 
that you don't know how it's going to end? I mean, can you can 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 you act on what God says when you can't see your way through it to the end? We like to be able to think things through and see what's going to be the result of this. And then, for Abraham, it goes on down through verse 19. And uh, Abraham believed God about things that were not yet in existence. You know, God told Abraham, he said, you know, your descendants are going to be the, like the stars in the sky, innumerable. And he didn't even have any children. But he believed God. And then he finally got one. When he was 100 years old. And then God said, sacrifice him. I mean, he finally had this one child that was a hope. And God said, sacrifice him. And uh, I was going to have his turn to it, but I'll just see if anybody remembers. After God told him to, to do that, take his only son, sacrifice him, I think it's the next verse. You know what the next verse says in Genesis? Anybody call that to mind? Do you know? He got up early in the morning. Now, if God told you to do something that seemed impossible, that you couldn't see your way through, would you get up early in the next morning to do it? Maybe you'd say, I need to pray about this a few days. Or maybe you need to get some counsel from some others and those things all have their place. But he got up early the next morning. It just uh, it just kind of blows you away, so to speak, unearthly from, for an earthly expression. But he believed that God could even raise him from the dead. He had confidence. But see, these people, they acted. They acted on what God said. Um, and uh, I think I'm going to have to um, just um, move to the end of my message. Um, it says... Um, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and persuaded of them and embraced them. I think that's the word I want to leave with us. And I have a little bit more to say. I want to say a little something about, uh, about Keith. I went to the funeral yesterday, and uh, Keith was one of my closest friends. And um, But anyway, I was going to say, it says here they 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 embraced them they they not having received the promises having seen them afar off they were persuaded of them embraced them they were persuaded they confessed they were strangers and pilgrims they declared plainly they had been they had this desire all those words but um, for for um, I was uh, I was reading um, you know to get some background. Um, 
uh, here on the book of Hebrews, uh, just to stimulate my thinking. I was reading from the uh, old quarterly eight years ago when we covered the book of Hebrews and outlining different things, and I don't have time to share all those things, but this one thing um, I did notice, it kind of stood out to me. One way we find courage to walk in faith is to frequently consider the example of those who have gone before us, and that's what Hebrews 11 is about, both in scriptures as well as in our own lifetime. And Keith was one that went before us. Um, tremendous example and challenge. And um, I, um, well, um, they uh, they had out song sheets. So the service was at, uh, at the church there at Strasburg, and uh, they did have room. Uh, I think they had uh, about 600 chairs set up, and there was about 450 people there, so it wasn't quite as many as they thought might come. But they had this, they had a number of songs that we sang, and they just had these song sheets and um, of songs that were close to uh, Keith's heart. And um, the first one was, Lord, I'm fondly, earnestly longing. And they said, you know, there at the church in Strasburg, he would often, just before it's time for the church to start, he would start out singing that song. Lord, I'm fondly, earnestly longing. And uh, to me, I, I never really um, took to that song that much. It's kind of a light song, so on. But the words, I can see why now. Uh, Lord, I'm fondly, earnestly longing into thy holy likeness to grow, thirsting for more and deeper communion, yearning thy love more fully to know. And you could see that in Keith's life. Dead to the world would I be, O Father, dead unto sin, alive unto thee. Crucify all the earthly within me, emptied of sin and self may I be. And if you look, I don't know most, I don't know how much you know about Keith's life, but Keith grew up in a home where his father was not a believer. His father had an alcohol problem, and he did eventually uh, get over, but he, didn't, he never did come to the Lord. Uh, Keith was born in 1959, and uh, so most of the time, uh, him growing up, his father would have had an alcohol problem, although he only had it in the, on the weekends. He, he could hold a steady job. Um, but Keith graduated from Broadway High School in 1977, and if you see a picture of him when he was 17, uh, just before he became a Christian, he was a rebel. He smoked. He, he used foul language. I think he was into drugs, probably marijuana. When he got converted, I mean, he got converted. And um, so dead to the world would I be, O oh Father, dead unto sin, alive unto thee. And that was the way. I mean, he did a 180-degree turn. Um, I would be thine and serve thee forever, filled with thy spirit, lost in thy love. Come to my heart, Lord. Come with anointing showers of grace sent down from above. I mean, it was kind of like, um, it's kind of like when he was converted, it was turned. I mean, he was moving in the other direction as fast as he could go. Um, second song, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, there's taught me to say it as well, as well as my soul. So I guess that was more for the ones that were there at the funeral. But I did think about the last phrase. Uh, I mean, the last verse, the first phrase, first line, O Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight. He didn't expect that. You know, Andrews, um, January, see what's how's the January 22nd, I guess it was January 22nd or 23rd when Andrews moved 
to Guatemala to be the director of the mission there. That's the plan. Andrews, their eight children, Keith and Eva, moved down to help them get settled, get moved in. So it was 12 of them. Took a one o'clock at night flight from Dulles to Guatemala City, a direct flight, four hours. Um, 24 suitcases, because there was 12 of them. I mean, that's the way Andrews moved. Uh, that was what they moved. 24 suitcases, 12 carry-ons, and 12 personal bags. And that was what they took with them to Guatemala. And so they were there, and they were getting settled in. And uh, at headquarters, at headquarters, they were doing some roof repair. On, I mean, it was Friday morning, and um, Keith was a servant. That was one of the things that few of us attained to, like he did, being a servant leader. But um, so he was sweeping, uh, sweeping around downstairs, and um, he went up on the roof about 10.30, and um, to help out, they were pulling up 40-foot 40 40 sheets of tin to replace some roof on the headquarters building, and the uh, part over the garage was a flat roof, and then I guess they were pulling the tent up and then carrying it over to a higher part of the building. And uh, the uh, the roof was all painted the same color. And so walking across the roof, his right foot hit a skylight. And, and he just went down like that, full weight, without any chance to catch himself anything. His head hit a piece of tin at the edge of the skylight, broke the tin. That probably knocked him out. They said that somebody saw him fall, said he was falling limply, fell 18 feet on the concrete on his back and head. And so, you know, he's gone. And so, Lord, haste the day when my face shall be sight, I tell you. And then the next song was one <clears throat> I didn't know. It was a new song called In Jesus. I can see why they picked that one because that was what his life was all about. And then the next one was For Christ and the Church, Let Our Voices Ring. And uh, so For Christ and the Church, and that was Keith's life too. And I don't, I don't, um, I'll have to ask Eva sometime about that, but there was something said about, you know, when he became a Christian and I guess was progressing, you know, for Christ, he was. For Christ, yes, he was for Christ, but the church, the church, what about the church? You had to think through that. And, but, it, but, but for Christ and the church, the church is the body of Christ. And so he said, yeah, it's the church too, for Christ and the church. And I was thinking, we sang this morning, 16 times we said, I would love thee more and more. I think that's what it was. I would love thee more and more. In that song, isn't that the, that phrase, the, that song you, we laid there just before the service, before the preaching service here. And so, yeah, we want to love Jesus. The church is the body of Jesus. If we want to love Jesus, we're going to love the church too. And so he poured his life out. And it was like, he was never one to assert, he was never one. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about position. He, he was just about Jesus. 
And so whatever there was to do, he did it. I mean, he was secretary of conference for years, and then he was moderator. He was bishop to Puerto Rico. He was on the MAM board, you know, just kind of whatever. Somebody needed to do it, you know. That's the kind of approach he took, you know. Somebody needed to do it. You know, it wasn't about position or power or anything like that. And uh, so and then they sang, Fierce Raged the Tempest. Fierce Raged the Tempest. So... Maybe that was for the people there, too. But then the last song was from Harmonia Sacra. He's gone. The spotless soul is gone. Triumphant to his place above. The prison walls are broken down. The angel's speed is swift remove. And shouting on their wings, he flies and gains his rest in paradise. And so though it's a loss, um, um, I'm still glad for him because he he got there. He got home. And uh, there was something shared in the message that stood out to me. Um, Brother Dwayne Eby preached the message. It's kind of interesting. I said to him, uh, happened to be sitting beside him at lunch, and I said, you, you uh, kept pretty short this time. <clears throat> he said, I was under very strict orders. That it wasn't to be more than 30 minutes. And he said, I had my stopwatch laying there on the pulpit. <laughs> he said, I made it in 29 minutes. <laughs> but anyway, he did share some good thoughts. And um, he said, I don't exactly how it was, but something about a Bible-based life and a Bible-embraced life. And you know, people can preach Bible-based sermons. They can, they can write Bible-based articles. They can put out Bible-based newsletters. But are their lives Bible-embraced? And that's the challenge for you and me. I mean, yeah, yeah, I appreciate the Bible, all right. Thy word is truth. That's my calling card. But do I live a Bible? Do I embrace it? Not just talk about it. See, that's what it says in Hebrews 11. By faith, they acted. They embraced it. They didn't talk about it. They did it. And that's such a challenge. I mean, that's the answer. What? We, the, the prayer request about the parents and these concerns we have about people and so on and, and you know, all, 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 all the problems in society. So if people would live Bible-embraced lives. One time I got this, well, I was getting these, this is quite some time back, probably during the times of the moral majority, but I was getting these letters in the mail about, you know, there's 40 million evangelical Christians in America. If they would just vote right, we, you know, we could turn things around in this country. And, uh, and I wrote back to the Pat Robertson's organization, and I said, if just 4 million of those 40 million people would live the Sermon on the Mount, it would be salt and light that would be a preserving influence on this nation. It's, an, it's embracing a Bible-based life. Let's kneel for prayer.